0: Man, those were strong words. Pathetic. All right. I like that. We want to welcome our worshipers coming in from uh, the, the center worship and also those that are streaming with us and our church family. Those uh, literally now around the nation that uh, crazy, isn't it? Folks over in New Orleans watching services and all those kind of things. But we're just glad that all of those are tuning in and uh, just want to talk to you today um, along these same lines that what we've been dealing with and working through and some of these components of who we are. And it is this time of election that we forget at times who we are, especially in relationship to political circles. And so today I want us to spend some time in God's Word and renew our understanding of who we are, who we've been as Baptists historically, who our church is, wrapped around those concepts or those beliefs. It doesn't take very long in the Bible to realize that um, God gives us choices. It only just takes a few short chapters in our Bible to get that picture. The very first man and woman by the name of Adam and Eve, they had choices to make. And it's obvious as we work through the whole text of the Bible that what Baptists have clung to for so many years around this concept of soul competency. In other words, we believe every believer in Christ has direct access to God and is accountable to Him ultimately and to Him alone. Could I hear an amen? I mean, ultimately... First and foremost, before there's any denominationalism whether there's small group ministry, whatever it may be that encompasses your life, nothing, not one single thing is more important than the choice that you and I make to be linked to our holy God through faith in Him. Now we know that avenue came in the avenue of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God incarnate flesh, sending His Son… God coming here in human persona, God and man, man and God. He loved us that much. And so it's a faith covenant out of that existence of the Lord Jesus that you and I have true eternal life. And so today I'm going to ask that you turn in your Bibles to two or three different passages I want to just kind of give you an overview. Would you find your way, first of all, to Romans chapter number 2, and I want you to scroll down in that second chapter to verse number 15. Romans chapter 2, and in just a moment, I want us to read verse number 15. Following that, have you got that marked? I want you to find 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to read that, and then we're going to end up in 1 Peter chapter number 2. Three places I want us to piece together today that are significant to what we're going to be talking about around this theme of religious liberty. Because that's really who we are. That's who we've been historically, and that's who we are now. People of religious liberty. Choices to make. And we will make them. But let's read in our Bibles, Romans chapter 2, and here's what the writer of Romans says, verse number 15. They show that the requirements of the law are written, and notice this, written on their hearts. Their consciences are also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. What an incredible statement of facts, that as a believer with soul competency linked to God. There is something in a way that God speaks to us and through us as he makes his awareness felt in our life through that direct relationship. That's significant. That's important for us in every dimension of our Christian lives, but especially when it comes to us today talking about this concept of religious liberty. Now listen to what Paul wrote over to the church in Corinthians. The Corinthian Corinth. That problematic church. He wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Would you scroll down to verse number 3? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Go down to verse number 3 and let's read a few verses there. The Bible says, I, I, Paul writes, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any other human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. He went on to write in 1 Corinthians 4, 4, my conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each, there it is again, that individual accountability will receive their praise from God. And listen to ultimately what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and go down to verse number 16. 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning in verse number 16. Here's what Peter writes. Live as free people. Do not use your freedom as a cover-up. That's how the NIV translates that. A cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Let's talk for a few moments heart to heart today about this concept of religious liberty. And I think it's important that we define it. And I want you to write some things down here. Religious liberty. Many of you have heard the name George Truitt, one of the very few pastors of First Baptist Church Dallas in its history. We know that Truitt and Criswell pretty much well, for almost a century took care of that church in terms of shepherding and pastoring. George Truitt one time uh, in one of his remarkable speeches in Washington area, the Washington area was talking about the difference. I don't know that anyone could explain it any better. As believers in God, as Baptists, you and I hold dearly to this concept of religious liberty. In fact, most Baptists would fight to the death for religious liberty. But we often confuse terminology. And so before we even delve into this today, let's be sure that you and I have a clear framework for the semantics or the words or the language here that we're on the same page. We're not talking about tolerance. Oftentimes, believers confuse religious liberty and tolerance. Let's write this down first of all about tolerance. Tolerance is nothing more than a concession. And understand the difference when it comes to religious liberty. Religious liberty is a right. It is a right. Understand and be, be able to see that distinction. Tolerance is is nothing more than expediency. But when it comes to religious liberty, that's all about us having a principle that we hold on to in our life. Big difference. In fact, we could go even a step further and say, tolerance would be like a government granting tolerance for you to worship this way, or a group of people granting tolerance. That's a gift from man. Tolerance is mankind or some man-made object Giving privilege as if they hold the power and the authority. Okay, we're going to be kind to you, so we're going to show you some tolerance. If you get pulled over by a police officer and he says, I I noticed you were going a little over the speed limit. And you said, well, just a little bit. And that police officer says, well, I want to show you some tolerance. All the power and authority for the punishment of that is in his or her hands. But they grant you something, an authority, a position or a place of power that they hold. But not religious liberty. Religious liberty is a gift from God. So understand what we're going to be talking about today when it comes to religious liberty is something that we have fought for, held on to, and proclaim boldly and thankfully. But if we're not careful, we're at the place that our nation has been many times before that we could lose our religious liberty. So understand what it is. Now on your outline, I just want to quickly do two things today. I first want to lay out a case for religious liberty from the scripture. I want to take you back to our roots and let you better understand again, just just as a mark of who we are, For us to remember as we go into this religious, I mean this election cycle, but more importantly as we go back to our very roots and remember who we are in terms of the Bible, which we've talked about, our salvation, which we've talked about, these very important anchors of where we are, people of prayer, we've talked about prayer. Now today I want us to talk about this element of religious liberty. I mentioned a moment ago about choices and it's very evident when it comes to choices that that's how God created us as sovereign God and we as his created beings, he so often gives us choices. So let's write down the first thing that I wanna share with you from the Bible about a case for religious liberty. First of all, genuine faith cannot be forced. That's important for us to understand as a foundational step in building this case for religious liberty. Genuine faith cannot be forced. I remind you, From the book of Genesis all the way through the scriptures, Old and New Testament alike, people are given choices. Adam and Eve, you choose. Do not eat of that fruit, but you're gonna have to make your own choice whether you eat it or not. I think about a a gentleman one time that the Lord says, hey, uh, I, I want you to go to this location. I have some things for you to do. He spoke into the spirit of this man. I want you to go to this place. It's called Nineveh. But you choose whether you do that or not. And this man says, well, I'm not going. I'm going to head over to Tarsus. And God says, well, you go ahead and go. But you're going to get on one of the most amazing cruise liners on your way over. I'm going to let you take a little cruise, but you choose. When we get to our New Testament, nothing changes. I wrote down in my notes, the Lord Jesus Everything that he taught went in three steps. Do you remember it? He taught, he reasoned, he appealed. It was all about for him a decision making. Again, he taught, he reasoned, and he appealed. You remember how he did that? Hey, folks, there's two roads. There's this road, and this way you could go, there's this road. Another time he says, There's two paths. You choose which path that you will take. It's your choice. As Jesus taught, I remember that verse in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Jesus, in this whole process of, of teaching and reasoning and appealing, remember he said, now come to me. Choice. Come to me. You choose. Come to me and I will take all of you that are weary, you're burdened, and I'll give you rest. Jot down in your notes there. Acts 28, 23, I'll be through with it before you get over there. Acts twenty eight twenty three. I love this moment when Paul's teaching. Listen to what it says. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and they came in, uh, in in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. Now listen to this. He witnessed to them, did you hear that? From the morning till evening, explaining to them the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and about the prophets. And then listen to this last statement. And then it says in Acts 28, 23, right at the end of the verse, and he tried to persuade them about Jesus. You understand, don't you, that we're people of choice. And genuine faith cannot be forced. Faith is a matter of our Choosing. People must choose the road that they're gonna go on. One of the great verses in all the Bible when it comes to knowing Christ, we would say an evangelistic verse of all verses is in Romans chapter 10 and verse nine. You remember this this verse? If you declare with your mouth, did you get that? If you, you choose if you're gonna declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and if you believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. So we lay that first at the bottom of religious freedom or religious liberty. That these choices are important. In fact, genuine faith cannot be forced. Jot the second thing down. You're listening well today. Jesus distinguished the realms of God and government. God and Caesar. It was Jesus who distinguished this concept and laying the groundwork for our religious liberty. Again, our faith cannot be forced, no one's can, but also Jesus laid the very foundation for this whole concept of the separation of those two over Matthew chapter 22. There was a trap laid for the Lord Jesus, a group of muckety-mucks, Came to the Lord Jesus and were trying to entrap him around what people should do when it came to governmental things, paying taxes, their involvement. And again, at that moment, in terms of the nation of Israel swinging into this new covenant, I mean, the nation of Israel had always been on its own. And so they were trying to put Jesus in a position where he was going to be in a bad situation if he had said anything about supporting. Roman authorities, man, that was going to put him in one position. It was a lose-lose situation, at least in their minds. And really, on the surface, it was if, if they had just, I mean, if he had just upheld Israel's rights or if he sanctioned any type of Roman authority, then it would have been, man, at least in their eyes, a crushing blow to his leadership when it came to Israelite culture. So they were just asking about taxes and what roles they should play in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 18, the Bible says, But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, Now you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? And then in Matthew 22:19, 19, Jesus just had them do something very simple. He said, Bring me a coin. Come on, guys. Bring me a coin. Bring it up here. And so one of them brought him a coin. And the Bible goes on to say, In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 20, he said, now show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought him this denarius in verse 20 and they asked him, and and Jesus asked him, now whose image, whose image is on this and whose inscription? And And they replied, Caesar's. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. And then in verse 22, when they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him. And went away you know it's important for us to know that Jesus sanctioned he distinguished these two categories as both being important and significant and that's important because maybe for one of the first times with complete authority God himself spoke into the importance we are going to have some form of dual relationship in humanity from whatever governing body that we find ourselves under in terms of that authority, but more importantly, that relationship with us and God on those two planes and how those categories now are being established. It's important because up until this time, many people from the nation of Israel thought they were, what, exempt. They were, hey, we are yoked only in our religious life. But Jesus set aside these two important categories. We can take it a step further. Let's jot this down, a third very important principle, and that is the freedom of religion. Now, because of this, becomes a biblical value. Because of this moment, Jesus sanctioning these two categories, putting them right there and how they relate to one another. Hey, what Caesar's is Caesar's. What is the Lord's is the Lord's. We see out of this, this freedom of religion being a biblical value. That's important, isn't it? That our Lord, as he sanctioned this, set these two categories apart and began to deal with how these two interrelate with one another. You and I are people out of that teaching. We are people out of the covenant with the Lord Jesus that understand we also relate to government in our life, to what we would call a political scene, so to speak, and how we're governed. Very important. That liberty is also very important to us. Not only do we know we exist in that realm, but we must be able to exist with that in a lawful way, but also in our relationship with God in an obedient way. Let me quickly share one other thing with you today and that is a case of involvement. A case for us being involved in this. Our religious liberty sanctioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Our covenant under government authority sanctioned by God as well through the Lord Jesus Christ. But I just want to share with you a case quickly for our involvement. Now you know as we said in this sanctuary, There are some people in this sanctuary that would love to see many of you that are not involved politically be a lot more involved. There are others in you that sit in this sanctuary, and you know that sometimes folks from Oakland Heights Baptist Church, when they're out passing out propaganda, material, whatever you want to call it, dealing with the candidate or a political party, some of you just cringe and you went, oh, I wish they wouldn't do that. Some of you feel very strongly in this sanctuary today that you know what? Church ought to be the church. And government be the government. And the two hints never really going to cross over. Keep the authorities out of the Baptist work, out of all church work. (laughs) But folks, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that because that's not the picture that you and I have. See, when we... Suggest in our lives and doctrinally take this place of religious liberty. You do understand, don't you, that that means if a Muslim comes to Longview, Texas and he or she wants to worship, we in religious liberty say, hey, you have every right to worship as you would like to worship. If someone's a Baptist, we say, hey, you have the right to worship as a Baptist. Methodist. If it's a cult, As long as it does not infringe on the rights of others, we will fight to the death to say every person has this incredible innate ability to have their what? Accountability before God. Therefore, how they choose to worship and how God leads them to worship is something out of the soul competency concept that you know what? Their obedience is to God first and alone to him and then their expression of worship comes out of that calling in their life. But how does that transcend and cross over in terms of how involved we should be or should not be? And it all begins with this first statement. And it won't take us long to come to a clear scriptural agreement on this. God calls Christians to do good works. Write that down. A case for all of us needing to be involved. God calls all of us to good works. Now, we're throwing on the brakes here for a moment. Not good works in terms of salvation. Romans 3.23 tells us that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But Romans 3.20, on the same token, reminds us, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, rather through the law that we become conscience of our sin. We understand that we're not saved by good works. Can I hear an amen to that? We're not saved by good works, but we are called in our Christian lives to be about good works. Out of the relationship we have with the Lord Jesus, we begin to what? We begin to serve him, and there's good things that come out of our life. Following salvation of Jesus, how should we live our lives? Over in Ephesians chapter 2, one of the great places where Paul helps people understand how to be saved, verses Ephesians 2, 8, 9, he talks about for this grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, but it's a gift of God. Verse nine, not by the works. No one can boast, he says, but then he says this in verse number 10, right there coupled with that great statement about how we're saved. He says in Ephesians 2, 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do poima to do works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul said to the church in Galatia, the Galatians, he said in chapter 6 and verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which God prepared in advance for us to do. We know we're called to what? To have influence on other people in a good way, to do good for others. We have the opportunity before us to be influencers for the good, positive encouragement, and that includes government. That includes all facets of our world. Do you think that's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, right out of the chute, Jesus laid this groundwork, you are to be the light, the light of of the world. Yesterday afternoon, I was in, in the, uh, riding, riding in an old truck and I had a, a young sixth grade guy with me. We were just riding down the road. and We were talking for a few moments and he was uh, talking about what school he was going to. And next year, he's going to be in the seventh grade and he's going to have the opportunity to play football. And uh, he said, uh, but he said, I, I, I'm upset because even though I have the opportunity to play as a seventh grader, I can't. I said, well, why can't you? And he said, well, my school doesn't have football. And I said, well, that's easy. Go to another school that has football. He says, well, it's not that easy either. He said, my mom and dad, they don't like some of the other schools around us. They don't say, he says, they, they don't think they're good schools. And I said, well, well, why don't they think they're good schools? And he said, Well, he says, mom and dad say these other schools are a little rough. And I said, you know, that's interesting. They don't want you going to a rough school, huh? And he said, I I guess not. So things got silent for a moment. In a few minutes, I said, you know, I want you to think about a question. I said, in the Bible, the Bible tells us. And I said, before I tell you this, be careful when you talk to your parents about this. You got to do it in the right way. Just giving you a little argument here for you to think about. Sixth grade boy now. And so he says, okay. But I could tell his eyes lit up. And before I could even speak any further, he said, and my best friend goes to this other school that I want to go to, and I could play football with him. And I could tell, man, he was building this case. And I said, you might just want to mention to your parents that the Lord Jesus said we are to be the light. And I said, where is the light needed the most? He said, oh, I like this in dark places. And I said, also, the Bible says that we're to be the salt. If we lose our savor, we're to be trodden under people's feet. And, and so we're to be salty. We're, we're to be the seasoning. I mean, and, and where can salt do its best work? He said, well, I got it. Well, there's no flavor. And I said, but I just want to remind you, be very gentle when you present this case to your parents. So I just ask you, does the fact that we're to be the light and the salt, does that only, did, did Jesus just intend that for certain little realms in our life? I mean, did he mean neighborhood? Did he mean out at the plant for work? Or is that excluded? Did he mean everything else in our lives but not government? No, Jesus just made a clear statement. Should you go about in your life, I want you to be the light. I want you to be the salt. And we understand very quickly as we read from God's word that he teaches us more than anything to what? Number one, love our neighbors to love them, to help them any way that we can. Doesn't matter what what need they have in their life. If we can, as followers of Christ, whether it be families or parenting or evangelism, but I ask you again, do you think Jesus intended for us to exclude citizenship, government? I mean, should Christians never run or participate in any political office? No, the Lord Jesus just said clearly to us, you're to be about good works where you can make a difference in the lives of those around you. Do it. Love on your neighbors. Love on these people around you. If you can have an influence in a positive way in their life, then make sure you do it. God calls us to do good works. Chop down a second thing. Influencing government for the good is a way to love our neighbors. Let's expand on that a little bit. Influencing in terms of election or government is a good way for us to love on our neighbors. And I know, here's where I'll get some emails this week. And you know what? I'll read them. And I'll lovingly respond to them. So go ahead and send them. And uh, in fact, I I think I'll just forward them all to Miss Maureen and let her respond to them this week, okay? But I know, I know some of you are here and you say, man, I just disagree with that. Christian political involvement will do us no good Pastor Mike, you know the only thing that's going to save our nation, I hear this all the time, is a revival and people coming to Jesus and it just does us no good, it does us no good to get involved. We shouldn't mess with that, it just wastes time. And I would just beg to differ with you. The Bible, when we look at it, reminds us that... um, We're commanded, aren't we, to do spiritual good. When we cinched up with the Lord Jesus, we don't pick and choose out of the Christian life what we want to do. Our Christian life is not a cafeteria line. Well, I really like the National Day of Prayer, so I'm going to go do that. That's a really a neat thing to do. But I'm not going to do this because... You know, going down there at the Highway 80 rescue mission, I may catch something down there. Or, you know, I love small group ministry, and so I'm gonna, I love my, I love my small group, but when it comes time to sacrif- sacrificially give to the Lord's work, well, I, I'll give some token amount, but I, I, I'm not into that tithing thing. Or, yes, uh, I I know our church needs a revival and I'll come. But in terms of of inviting others, I think I'm going to opt out of that part. Aren't you thankful that when the Lord Jesus went to the cross, he didn't opt out of certain elements of what he was about to do and what he was called to do? (laughs) Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't, 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 aren't you thankful he went fully committed and all in for us? You think that's why Jesus kept reminding the disciples in the last home stretch? Well, if you ever go through the book of John, that last week to 10 days of the Lord Jesus' life, woo! that's good stuff. Every day. Remember what Jesus, every day. You got to get up every day. Deny yourself. Pick up that Cross go to work every day. It's not Monday and Saturday you're Christians and the rest of the time you're not. No, no it's every single day. It's commanded. God tells us to do it To, by definition, do spiritual good. And I just wonder again, just with your common sense of looking at scripture and totality, Christian influence and involvement think about this, is ultimately going to point people to the glory of our God. In my devotional several weeks ago now, I had never really thought about this verse, but over in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and in verse 6, Moses said something had never really resonated with me, but I want you to hear it. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 6, Moses said he was talking about the other nations and what image following Jehovah God was going to give when it came to uh, these other pagan nations. He said in Deuteronomy 4, 6, when they, talking about these other nations, hear all these statutes, they will say, surely this is a great nation, it's wise, and it has understanding people. Man, why should we be involved? We're called, number one, to be people of good works. There's no debate about that, but we're also called hook, line, and sinker to love our neighbors and to make the best way in a good way known to them in whatever it may be. But jot this third thing down, good and bad government make a huge difference in people's lives and in the church. Good and bad government make a huge life a huge difference in people's lives and in the church. You do understand there's ramifications, don't you? I had one of the premier capital fundraising st- church stewardship consultants in my office this week. He's phenomenal. I was talking to him. He was he was on his way to West Monroe to try to help a, help a church over there. He was sitting there in the office and we were talking about the condition of most churches across the nation. He travels all over talking about different components of where churches are and how things are going and what percentage of people are back and how giving is across the board, not just in Baptist churches, but Methodist churches. Anyway, as we were talking right there, you know, he made an interesting statement. He said, you know what? You go back and you look every election cycle for the last 30 years and you pull up and correlate church giving and you will see that one of the lowest ebb is every four years during the summer and fall of presidential election years. And he began to talk to me about the importance of understanding that during times of uncertainty, people stop giving or they don't give as as generously. And it just reminded me as I was listening to him talking about this component, you and I got to understand something. You and I, it needs to check with us. It needs to resonate in in our thinking. Hey, what's at stake here does matter to Oakland Heights Baptist Church. This election does count. Now, I'll also go on a little disclaimer here with you. Some of you probably won't like this either. I don't know where I buy into this is the most important election ever. I think if George was here today, George Washington, he would look in my eyes and say, Are you Michael Cook? <laughs> are you one of those proclaiming this was the biggest election? Don't you think the first election was the most important? Boy, if we hadn't got it right in the very first election this country had, what would we have? I mean, do you think, I guess some of you are too young to remember. I wasn't even in existence. You think those election years during world wars weren't pretty important? Wow. I would just suggest to you, every election is significant. Every election is the most important. And maybe just because this is the next one up, Maybe some are referring to that. But let me tell you something. It does matter and it does count. Because whatever we choose to do out there, will have ramifications on community and church and government alike. You don't, you don't think it matters? Let me just toss down two locations. You've heard of them both. North Korea, South Korea. You don't think government matters in terms of Christian covenant? Here we take South Koreans and North Koreans. Have you ever thought about this? Just lay them side by side. These, these people have the same language. These people, when we look at them side by side, the same ethnic background. They live in the same, with same cultural history. They even live in the same location in the world. but vastly different places. South Korea, we look at them, robust, thriving, democracy, free people. We lay North Korea up beside them, repressive, totalitarian. I mean, we could go on and on and on, but I just suggest to you, It matters. Why should we be involved? We're called to good works. Because we're to love our neighbor even when it's messy, even when it's not convenient. But most importantly, we're to be involved because it will have impact in Oakland Heights Baptist Church. It will matter. And it does matter. You know my connection with history. I love it. When George Truett was standing there years ago making this incredible oration before all kinds of people about the importance of religious liberty, he shared a story that, man, Historically, I'd never even heard of. maybe because it was in 1878 and in London. But there were two men that were interacting at a notable dinner. One of them was just uh, well, he was he was a Quaker, an English Quaker, by the name of John Bright, Sir John Bright. And they were standing there, and he was talking to a noted American by the name of Dr. J.L. Curry, who was educational pillar, was a big Sunday school builder in Baptist culture, worked extremely hard post-Civil War at African-American rights educationally, and they were standing at this fancy dinner, and the Englishman, Bright, asked Dr. Curry, well kind of jabbing at him being an american what distinct contribution has america made in this science of government dr curry responded with him with this two simple words america's made a difference he said with just two words religious liberty and the englishman could only respond by saying ah and that was a tremendous contribution. When you stop outside of Baptist life and look throughout history, when you start looking post-first century at at the difference Christians made, it only takes just a few hundred years to see the substantial difference that we've made by getting involved. Outlawing emphasized. That's the killing of children within the first year. Child abandonment and abortion. All those things were fought and victories won in Rome in 374. The outlawing of brutal battle to death. Christians changed that in Rome in 404. The start of a whole public system of educating children in the nation of Germany. Christians brought that about in the 1580s. Property rights and protection for women, banning polygamy, prohibiting and burning alive of widows of all things. Those things going on in India in 1829 all changed and overthrown because of Christians. Painful crippling and practice of binding up young ladies' feet where they were permanently damaged and could no longer walk in China in 1912. Christians made the difference. And when you go back and look in our nation, when it comes to fighting and being involved for Christian liberty, Christians have led the way throughout history. I would be, I mean, to even think about where our nation would be without godly Christian influence. And so I just throw a rope out there to you today. I know some of the folks in our church proudly have got this sign up in their yard. And I know some other people that proudly boast this sign in their yard. And today, I'm not here to say this candidate or that candidate. What I'm here to say is, I'm just tossing you a rope. And I'm asking you with everything in me, if we want to hold on to Christian liberty, not only is it the right thing to do, but it is the Jesus established thing to do. Choices. We need to fight to make sure that no government ever takes away our opportunity to have religious liberty. And so today, I just toss the rope out to you. It's more on the rope on the end of it than just saying, please vote. The rope has a number of different knots in it that I want you to be able to hang on with me. But it's the rope of involvement. It's the rope where you can have influence for good. Did my goodness do that? And for you that want to walk around here in a little cocoon and say, well, well, it doesn't matter. There's nothing we can do about it. I have, again, a Hebrew word for that, bull corn. Over there in North Korea today, the very few Christians that exist in North Korea today have to meet in shrouded secrecy. But yet in South Korea, one of the leading countries at sending missionaries, Christian missionaries, all around the world. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. Would you pray with me today? Father, Christianity and the Christian faith and the Christian journey is not always an easy one. And Father, I, I really believe that we've come to the point of Christianity that's, again, several miles wide and just an inch or two deep. And part of that comes out of this cafeteria-minded faith that we think is a true Christian walk. And it's, it is a total change in our life. It's the radical transformation of the Lord Jesus what He's done in us, and it's out of that love for Him and the love for His commands and the love that we have to give people a choice, a choice that He's always granted, a choice that we believe should always be given to each individual. You worship as you choose. And Father, some of those choices could very quickly disappear. And so, Father, today, as we pray about who we will elect, we pray for our nation. Yes, this is a very important election. Is it the most important election ever? Wow, that's a big statement. But, Lord, all of the elections are significant. We want to we follow you with excellence. Therefore, every aspect of our lives, we want to strive for excellence. And it's out of that excellence of fellowship of you that we want to be the best citizens that we can be. Involved, participating, engaged. Loving our neighbor to bring about the best possible outcome that you would allow us to have impact over. Father ultimately if we can bring about some change that brings glory to your name just as Moses says wow other people will know who our god is because of this good then let us usher it in with all expediency and father today we pray for all of the candidates but we pray for wisdom you have a plan And we pray that as a nation, that we might elect the very person that you have for us, the people that you have for us. Father, you've called us to good works. And you're a great God. So therefore, we want to be about your good works. We love you. We worship you. And Father, just as we are today, people of the word, people of prayer, people of true salvation and eternal life, we are also people of religious freedom. We love you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.